Thanks for joining us today on the Harvest Podcast. Now here's today's message. We pray that it will bless your life as you listen. Well, if you've got your Bibles, why don't you go ahead and get them open. Let's go to 1 Thessalonians chapter number 5. We're going to get there in just a minute. 1 Thessalonians chapter number 5. One of my favorite um, little passages of Scripture. I want to just look at it together as a family. We're going to look at it in two different versions really quickly. In the New Living Translation, it says to be thankful in all circumstances. For this is God's will for you who belong to Christ Jesus. My favorite translation of the Bible is the Holman Christian, and it says it this way. To give thanks in everything, for this is God's will for you in Christ Jesus. To give thanks. No, it's not Thanksgiving. No, there's no turkey dinner. No, there's none of that right now available, at least not in my house. Good luck getting it most places right now, and that's all right. But I want to talk today about giving thanks and what it means to give thanks and why it's important. So this, this passage, give thanks, give thanks. Today I want to pull apart this small, seemingly insignificant verse that takes 17 English words to convey the meaning of only six Greek words in the underlying text in the original. And as we examine today's implications of what it means for us in our day-to-day journey. So when we talk about giving thanks... Three simple points today. Number one, give thanks. We're going to work through this verse as we go. Give thanks. Well, what what does it mean to give thanks? Literally in the original, it's a verb. Thanks is a verb. And the sense that we get from this verb is to be impressed with a feeling of gratitude for kindness received and to be ready and willing to acknowledge it. Don't you appreciate that from others when they sense that they, they owe you a debt of gratitude and they're willing to express that. Aren't you grateful when someone says thanks for something that you did? I like to go to the mailbox. I'm, I'm a little old-fashioned in this. I, I like to go to the mailbox and open up the mailbox and find a thank you card. Anybody else? You still like those? Anybody ever really often get those? Not that often anymore, right? What do we do today? Hey, Mom, thanks for... And we send a message, right? We let Siri do the dirty work. We, we let our, our digital assistant and our, our devices be the one that delivers those glad tidings, if you will. I like to say that's an action word, right? To give thanks. It takes something from us that is required of us to put that together, to make that work. The sense of the verb is to be impressed with a feeling of gratitude. I tell the story often about my friend Jeannie, her last night at her youth ministry in Rockford, Illinois. All of the kids that were there, the last little girl asked her, why do all these people like you? And she said, well, sweetheart, I guess it's because every time I thought something nice about them, I said that to them. We should be impressed with a sense of, I need to say thank you to people. But we should be just as impressed with a sense of returning thanks to God of saying thank you to the Lord. It's, uh, giving thanks is not a suggestion. It's a commandment that's found in Scripture. Uh, the word literally means to be glad or to rejoice. It's the same root word in the Greek that we find for the words that are translated joy and grace and forgive and freely give and gift and, and, and forgiveness and thanksgiving and to rejoice with. This verse... 
Verse number 18 is at the conclusion of this little, little passage here, these three verses here. And, and, and this whole segment is an interesting segment because in verses 12 through 15, and then it picks back up in 19 through 22, it tells us how we're to deal uh, to deal with people, how we're to get along in church, and how we're to treat others, right? That's what it talks about, how we're supposed to treat people. Then 16 through 18, and we're going to look at these verses together in a second, deals with our activities towards God. It's talking about how we're supposed to respond to God. How do we deal inwardly and express what God's doing? How do we deal with that? So the, the, the first and the, the, the sandwich portions of this verse, if you will, Deal externally with others while 16 through 18 deal with our activities with God. So verse 16 is an interesting verse because, again, it's just two English words. Rejoice always. Rejoice always. Rejoice always. Not sometimes. Not when I feel like it. Always. Rejoice. It's simple enough, but we don't always do that, do we? Now, we can do it when we feel like it, right? After the... Maybe after the, the Sooner girls softball team has won the national championship, we can all run around and rejoice in that moment, right? Whether you like softball or not, an Oklahoma team won and we cheer, amen? That's what we're supposed to do. We're supposed to be excited about that. I'm sure Dwayne Critchfield in his last day, regardless, he was excited because the Sooners won. He loved softball. And that's one of the things that we, we, we it's easy to do when we feel like it. After the, after the OSU Cowboys win a big game, you Cowboy fans are always rooting, tooting, shooting, firing off your pistols, right? I'm trying, right? Okay. So if you're a Cowboy fan, listen, I'm not digging at you, okay? But that's what we do. We get excited because our team won. Big game, small game, insignificant game, doesn't matter. Our team won, and we get excited. We rejoice. We're happy. But the Bible says that we're to rejoice always, Real, true, genuine fans don't just uh, uh, get excited and cheer when it's looking like the, uh, it's going to be a championship season. That's not the only time we get excited, right? We get excited all the time. We're excited during the John Blake era of, of, of just horror that the OU Sooners had to endure. We rejoice when that things are looking better now than they did last year. We rejoice at all times because we see the upside that this recruiting class holds that for the future, we get excited about what could be. We get excited about the potential. Now, as a lifelong Sooner fan, I know a little bit about this being excited about the potential, right? Look back at last season. Oh, they're a national championship contender and get shellacked the first two games, right? Just whipped. But we're excited about the potential. As a Dallas Cowboy fan, I've lived with that for far too long, right? This is going to be the Cowboys year. No, it's not. No, no. No, it's not. We get excited. Here's the thing. God's just as excited about your potential. And we should be just as excited about what he's doing in us and the potential of what he's producing in us for tomorrow. Rejoice always. We rejoice at all times. A true, genuine fan rejoices all the time. At every moment, it amazes me that in two simple Greek words, Paul could summarize all of that, that we should rejoice Always. We should rejoice, be filled with exuberance, be excited about what it is, and rejoice. We all agree that verse 17 is a really important verse too, right? Because it says to pray constantly. Pray constantly. Now, old King James says, pray without ceasing. They use three words to accomplish what the modern translators did in two words. It's kind of like a preacher and a worship leader. 
Preacher takes 30 minutes to say what a worship leader says in one song that lasts four minutes, right? It's what we do. Pray constantly. Now, notice something there. Two actions, rejoice and pray. Very similar ending words. Rejoice always, pray constantly. At all times, no matter what. Pray constantly. Prayer's a really big deal, right? We pray constantly. Now, obviously, this verse is not a literal verse that you're supposed to pray all the time. You gotta sleep, right? You gotta carry on conversations with your spouse. At least you're supposed to. Pray constantly. If we prayed all the time, we would never talk to anybody else. The idea is that the internal desire is there to constantly communicate with the Lord. Just think back to when you were dating, when you were newly married, and how exciting that it was that you got to talk to your future spouse. And you wanted to talk to him all the time, right? You'd be on the phone, it's like, you know, it's one o'clock in the morning, and it, maybe some of you, it was the letters that you were, I'm not really sure, I'm not trying to grab any specific generation, but, but you'd be on the phone, and it's like, no, no, you hang up first. No, I'm not hanging up till you hang up. Right? We, we've been watching a lot of Remember the Titans lately, because we're excited about football season coming up. And in, in there, that part when, when one of the players is on the phone with his girl while he's at camp, and she says, Gary, I'm not hanging up until you say it. No, not right now. All the guys are behind him. Hurry up. We want to talk to our girl too. No, not right now, sugar. No, no. I love you, sugar. You know, I mean, we get, we, we kind of go crazy, right? Because we just want to talk to him. It doesn't matter. Uh, the very first trip I made to Africa, I remember Rachel and I were dating. I knew, I knew this was in June. I knew that she was the one I wanted to marry. I wanted to spend the rest of my life with her. And I'm in Africa and technology was not nearly what it is today. I couldn't get out my phone and, and take a, uh, make a video call because of the internet that was available. No, 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 no. You paid $5 for one minute of phone call. I paid a lot of money for phone call, right? Because you get on the phone and you just don't want to get off the phone. You know, finally they send somebody running down and they knock on the door. Are you still on the phone? Yes. Oh, a lot of money. Yes. It's okay, I'll pay, because you're getting to talk to them. That's the idea that's here, is that we constantly want to talk to the Lord. I want to commune with him. I want to spend time talking to him. It's a two-way conversation. Nobody likes one-way streets. Nobody likes to have a conversation that's one-sided. Nobody likes to have one person that all they do is dominate the call. Those are called time robbers. They just suck the life out of the conversation. Nobody likes that. The thing about prayer is it reminds us that we can't do it alone. It's a constant reminder that we need God to make it today. It's a constant reminder that a day without prayer is a day where we tell God that we don't need his help today in our lives. And I can think of nothing more arrogant to say to the creator of heaven and earth that I don't need your help today. That's what we do when we go without praying. We're saying I don't need God's help. Now, if you've reached that point in life, could you please come give us some tips? We need God's help. We need God's help. We need his intervention. And prayer has to be expressed the same way that Jesus taught the disciples. He taught them to say. We've got to give voice to our prayers. You can't just constantly pray in your head. We've got to get it out. We've got to say it. Sometimes the best prayers that we can pray 
are the ones that we're not sure that we mean them until we say it like we mean it. And then you know what happens? We really start to mean it. In Mark chapter 9, there's a story about, uh, in Mark chapter 9, Jesus has gone up onto the Mount of Transfiguration. He's taken his three closest compadres. They've headed up on top of the mountain. They're there. Uh, uh, God shows up. Elijah and uh, Moses show up and they say, Lord, we need to build tabernacles here for all of you. The, the disciples do. And he says, no, we can't. They eventually, they come back down. And immediately they're met with a crowd of church people. And they're arguing. They're fighting over doctrine. They're fighting over, over why something could happen or not happen. And Jesus says, what are you arguing about? One man stands up from among them and says, Lord, I brought my son to you. He's demon-possessed. I asked your disciples to deal with it, and they couldn't do anything about it. Jesus, and immediately they bring the, the, the boy to him. He th the demon throws him into convulsions, and Jesus doesn't even bat an eye. He doesn't freak out. He doesn't let the, you know, the, 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 the church choir get all going, and we've got to have it in the right key so we can cast the demon out. None of that happens. Jesus just says, how long has he been this way? And the parents keep going and telling the story. And the demon is still freaking out with the kid. And Jesus isn't even worried about it. You get on down, the, the parents say this. They say an amazing thing. They say, Lord, would you show us mercy and help us if you are able? Now, that's Mark 9.22. Mark 9.23 is a verse we all love, right? Because that's when Jesus said, all things are possible to him who believes. All things are possible to him. That's a verse we love in church life. All things are possible, not some things. We love that. But he's telling people that have just said, nobody here could do anything about it. Are you able? We're not sure. And he says, all things are possible to him who believes. And then dad says something astounding. Lord, I do believe, but help me overcome my unbelief. Help me to overcome my unbelief. Have you ever prayed a prayer so honest that you said, God, I want to believe that promise, but I'm not sure I can? Have you ever prayed a prayer that you've said, God, I know this is your word, and I know it says that you will, but I'm not sure that this can happen in my life, but help me to overcome my unbelief. Help me to see it the way you see it. Help me to get into it. Help me to believe what you have said. Help me, Lord. Immediately, he's, he's begging God, help me overcome my unbelief. We've got to get to the point where we can pray that kind of honest prayer. That's a constant prayer. That's a saying, Lord, I'm not sure that you can bring healing. Help me overcome my unbelief. I'm not sure you can bring provision. Help me overcome my unbelief. We've got to get to the point where we dig in and we say, Lord, I believe you. See, Paul said that we pray constantly, all the time. Desire to pray constantly. Jesus goes on and tells the disciples when they say, Lord, why couldn't we cast the demon out? Why couldn't we deal with it? And they go on to say, Jesus tells them, some of these can only happen by prayer and fasting. Lord, help me have the courage to fast. Help me be able to sacrifice. Help me to put into practice what your word says. Help me pray. Help me do this by praying constantly. I need help. It's kind of like having GPS. You know what GPS does? It tells you where you're going all the time if you've got it turned on. Now, I agree on my, on my phone in, in Siri, I have it set to an Australian man. 
I'll listen to that all day long, right? Talking in a British accent, sign me up. I can listen to James Bond give me directions all day long. Yeah, okay, I will make a left turn now. Because I'm afraid he might shoot me out of the middle of nowhere if I don't do what he says. Let's be honest. But you know what it can't do? It can't tell me where to go if I've not asked it to give me directions. That's what brain constantly does. It says, I need your help today. I need you to help me get from here to there. And I'm not sure how I'm going to get there. And so you pray, Lord, is this the way? Lord, is this the way? That's why Isaiah chapter 19 verse 31 is so important when it says that you'll be led forth with joy and you'll, go, you'll be led out with joy and you'll be followed with peace. That peace is going to follow you everywhere that you go. It's important that we're praying and asking for God's help. I need help. You need help. Look at your neighbor and tell them you need help. Don't call me for counseling, okay? That wasn't a setup. We need help. That's what praying does. It helps us. It puts us in a position for God to be able to help. But we have to desire to pray. We have to ask him to help us. And when the more that we pray, so pray constantly. But more importantly, ask God to help you to desire to pray. He said in the Beatitudes that if we're hungry and thirsty, he will fill us. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be filled. Man, be hungry, be thirsty, but bring your desire to the one that can actually meet the need. Then we get to verse 18, which was our text and we read. And it fits into this exact same category. Give thanks. Give thanks. Now, in, in this particular verse, Paul applies a little bit more verbiage to get the point across. He used six Greek words here instead of just two like the preceding verses. And that's important. And I'm going to help us understand why it's important. It's important because he had more to say about giving thanks. We can understand rejoice always, right? We, we, we can get that. We should be happy. You should live your life filled with a desire to rejoice. We can understand pray constantly, right? Because we live in a sorry, downward-trending world that has crazy people that you have to worry about things, amen? You know, you can't just let your kids roam around the neighborhood anymore like we used to. The, the street light can't be your alarm clock to come home anymore. It's just the world that we live in says that that can't be applied. But you know what? That's why we need to pray constantly. It makes sense. This one eh, needed a little bit more explanation. Give thanks. Give thanks. The implication of the six words here is the same as just two words. That we should give thanks. We find a reason to be thankful. We're giving, if nothing else, we've been given such an amazing gift in God's grace that we should be thankful and ready and willing to express it. We've got to be willing to express it. Be ready to say, Lord, I'm so grateful for your grace today. I'm so grateful that you saved me from where I could have been. You know, Facebook is a, a blessing and a curse. It's a blessing because I don't need to go back for a 20-year high school reunion coming up because I've already seen what's going on with all of my crazy friends. It's a curse because I've seen what's going on with all of my crazy friends. 
Their life is lived out. I've seen the ones that have ended up in prison. I've seen the ones that have been in and out of the system and been on and off of drugs and and their before and after pictures. I've seen everything that's gone on and seen how it's all transpired. I've seen how the whole thing has worked together. And the the beauty of that is it reminds me constantly that had I not submitted to the call of God and his saving grace, that would have been me. That was the road I was traveling down. But thank God he saved me. I have a lot to be thankful for. I have a whole lot to be thankful for. The implications of this, give thanks, mean that I should constantly be looking for a way to show and to demonstrate that I'm grateful and that I'm thankful. Giving thanks is not something that we can choose to do or not do. It's something that we must do. Thanks is something that defines whether or not we feel entitled or not to what we have. Now, if you have kids or grandkids today, you realize that entitlement is a pretty big, serious issue we're dealing with today. Teaching thanks is something we try to do with our kids all the time. They have to say thank you for every meal that they're provided. Even if it's a sandwich and chips, you better say thank you. You didn't make that sandwich. Somebody else made that sandwich. Say thank you. They need to understand that they're not entitled to eat as well as we feed them every day. It's not an entitlement, but it's a blessing that comes from the Lord. We need to return thanks. There are times that all of our kids, literally, we go around because they're little kids. Like, when we say, okay, let's pray. Cecily, you pray. She'll pray. And then Hayes is over there screaming, oh, I want to pray. You can pray. Pray. And he bows his head. And if you're sitting real close, you lean in, and you can hear him say, food for body. And he looks up, makes sure everybody's looking, amen. He's two. If he says amen and something about the food, that's a win, right? There are times that we literally, everybody has to pray because then they'll say, oh, no, daddy, it's your turn to pray. You just prayed over the food. No, it's your turn to pray. Yeah, okay, let's pray. There are times we should. We give it a chance. Pray. Return thanks. Return thanks for the food. Return thanks for the blessings that God's given you. Give thanks. We're not entitled to anything that God's given us. We're not entitled to those blessings. We're not entitled to his grace. We're not entitled to his mercy. We're not entitled to his benefit. We're not entitled to anything he gives us. Return thanks. The problem for most of us is we're least likely to give thanks to those we're closest to. Not very often do I remember as a kid my parents saying, Uh, My dad's saying, no, you say thank you to your mama for making that food. We just came in from football practice on Wednesday and expected the chicken and fries to be made. I didn't know how you made them. I just expected when it came birthday time that there was going to be a chocolate brownie sheet cake, half of it with nuts and half of it with no nuts. Because that's just what you expected, right? I didn't know how to make those. I was grateful that my mama taught me how to do it. We've got to learn to give thanks. We seldom give thanks to those who we're closest to and who provide the most basic, life-giving, nutrient things that we need on a daily basis. We seldom thank our parents for the meals that nourish us day in and day out. Now, if they take us out for a nice steak or they take us to a great dinner, we always say thanks for that, right? Oh, thank you so much. This was amazing. I know it was your favorite. We want to do something special for you. Thank you. But you know what? The next night when nobody felt like it, we should say thanks. 
Same thing. Don't just return thanks when it was what we wanted and what we felt like we deserved in that moment. Say thank you all the time. We should constantly be giving thanks back to God. We should constantly be giving thanks because of what he has done day in and day out. He's provided for us. He's given us food. He's given us clothing. He's put the money in our wallet. Yes, you may have had to work for it, but where did the job come from? It came from his provision for us. He's the one that supplies all of our needs according to his riches and glory. Amen? You see, in an an entitled world, it's hard to get past the feelings of I deserve it and move into a lifestyle and an expression of I'm thankful for it. I'm thankful for it. Entitlement's going to be the death nail of our coffin as a society if we're not careful. But that's a different subject for a different day. But let me just say this about the church as a whole, at large. I worry. Because we have a society that feels entitled to the blessing of God without the commitment to his way. We have a society that feels entitled to the benefits that Scripture has promised and has blessed our land with for the last couple of hundred years but with no desire to see to it that we put in the work for it as well. We live in a day where grace is cheap and easy and requires nothing of us without realizing that grace has teeth and forces us into a position to say no to ungodliness and yes to the things of God. We can't just continue to live the way that we want to live and believing that God's going to do it no matter what because, well, that's just the way that it is. I'm sorry, but God's grace requires more from us than that. And the entitlement days in the church are causing problems as well. And at the end of the day, what matters more is our allegiance to Jesus than it does to the American flag. Our allegiance to Jesus trumps everything else. See, when, I was in, when Rachel and I were in high school, we traveled in this group called Praise Song. That's where we met as uh, juniors in high school the summer after our junior year. That's when she fell in love with me, head over heels, couldn't do anything about it. It was just from then on that it was a sealed deal. And if you don't believe that, just ask her after church. She'll be happy to tell you the exact same story. While we were traveling in that group, we stayed in homes. We would do church services at night. The next morning, and after the service, they would have host homes arranged. We'd go and we'd be broken up into groups and you'd stay um, at different homes in the church. And I remember... When they would bring in one of the, one of the uh, pastors for the people who were directing the program, he had been a missionary in his past, and he loved this training session he did with us. It was how to respond to the terrible food you're going to be served that people think is good. <laughs> don't look at me like you don't know it's true. You've been to your mama's house too, right? We've all had those dishes. We go to Aunt So-and-So's house, and they make this thing that we think is going to be, they think is wonderful, and then you taste it, and it tastes like trash, right? Just call it like it is. Just shake your head, yes, we all understand. But when you're a guest in someone's home, you dare not say that, right? So we were taught to learn how to say something kind and honest. And he would break out the most God-awful things you could ever dream about putting in your mouth to eat. And you didn't just put it in your mouth and get to spit it out. You had to put it in your mouth, chew it up, 
eat it with a smile on your face. Have you ever had pickled pig's feet? Come on, raise your hand if you've had them. Keep your hand up for just a second, okay? Now, if you've had them, you got your hand up. How many of you like them? Lord Jesus, help them. One, y'all are, man, I'm getting sick thinking about it. One time he brings in dried squid. Man, no lunch for me today. It was gross, right? So he hands everybody their bite-sized chunk. It's not a bunch. It's just a little bite-sized piece. You, you take you, And we had to go around the group. There's 31 of us all together at this time. We take your bite and you're chewing it up. I've never had anything that tasted quite like that. Thank you. I mean, nothing that tasted like that. That was, oh, right? But you learn to give thanks regardless of whether you liked it or not. Well, then we get into these people's homes, and they didn't serve us anything near as bad as pickled pig's feet or dried squid. But you had learned that you could handle anything, and you could be honest and kind at the same time. We can learn, if we'll put it into practice of giving thanks, that we can be kind and honest at all times. You can return thanks even when it's not your favorite thing. Even when we didn't go to Chick-fil-A like you wanted to, we had to go to Taco Bell because that's what daddy wanted. You can still be thankful that you got to eat. Whether it's your favorite or not, we've got to learn to return thanks. It's an important commandment that Paul gives Give thanks. But what does he say we're supposed to do that? First, we give thanks. Second, he tells us we got to do it all the time. All the time. It's kind of like when those screens go out like that. We don't know what's going on with it, but it does it all the time today. We'll figure it out. If not, we'll pour gasoline on it and set it on fire. Right, Fran? We have no idea what in the world is going on with that stinking computer. But we're going to figure it out one of these days. All the time. I'm just thankful that even though that screen is out, that Fran is working on getting it figured out. You know why? Because it's important that at all times we give thanks. Not just when it feels good. Not just when I like what's happened. The Bible's a, a very specific book, amen? It's very specific. It doesn't leave a lot of things up to chance. And I'm grateful for that because God knows us as humans. God knows we're going to try to skirt the issue, Amen? We're going to try to find the easy way around it. We're going to try to figure it out. We're going to try to make it work. And you know what? That's just humanity's way of trying to take the easy road. Not all of humanity tries to take the high road in in every area. Amen? All you've got to do is deal with contractors, and you're going to find somebody that's going to take the low road. Somewhere along the way, we run into that. Being a very specific book, Paul didn't leave anything to chance when he penned the words the Holy Spirit gave him. And said, we're to give thanks in everything. We're to give thanks at all times. We're to give thanks always. We are to constantly give thanks. See, it's easy to be thankful when we have more than enough, amen? It's easy to be thankful when the sea is calm and the headwinds are giving us aid on the journey of life. It's easy to give thanks when my cup runneth over. It's easy to give thanks when our bank account has more money than month, amen? It's easy to give thanks when the doctor tells us good news 
Rather than the worst case scenario, it's easy to give thanks when my team wins. It's easy to give thanks when you get the promotion. It's easy to give thanks when your kid gets the job, when they get the part in the play, they get the starting position on their team, when they get married or when they have kids with their spouse. It's easy to give thanks. It's easy to be thankful in those moments, amen? That's not why Paul wrote, give thanks in everything. He wrote, give thanks in everything because most of Scripture Most of the time it says in Scripture to give thanks when we don't feel like it. James said it this way in James chapter 1. He said that we should uh, be thankful. Consider it pure joy, my brothers, when you fall into various trials and tribulations. Pure joy. Give thanks like you've never believed, like you've never seen it. Give thanks. Give thanks when we don't want to. That's hard. Give thanks when it it tasting awful. Have you ever had a moment in life that just tasted terrible? I have. I've had moments in life that I thought, I don't want it to ever be like this again. We've got to learn to give thanks in those moments. We've got to give thanks when the struggle is real. Anybody have those moments this week? When the struggle's been real, when we've been trying to figure it out? We've got to give thanks when the waves are at their highest and the wind is gusting at the strongest of the storm. We've got to give thanks when the pressure is the heaviest, when it looks like death is certain and the stone is rolled in front of the grave. We've got to give thanks. You know, that's when Jesus gave thanks with with Lazarus. Jesus didn't give thanks that Lazarus rose from the grave. You know when he gave thanks? Beforehand, he said, Father, I thank you that you hear me when I pray. He was thankful beforehand when it looked like death was certain. That's when Jesus gave thanks. We've got to give thanks when the jar of oil is empty and there's no more flour in the house. When the rain has dried up and your crops aren't producing and you have no idea how you're going to feed your family. That's when we've got to give thanks. We've got to give thanks when we're not sure that we believe that Jesus can do the miracle. That's when we give thanks that he's able We've got to give thanks when we've lost that dream job. We've got to give thanks when your kids have walked away from the faith and it seems like the promise of Scripture is not going to come to pass in your life. That's when we give thanks. We've got to give thanks when it doesn't look good. We've got to give thanks in all circumstances. That's what Scripture says at all times. In all circumstances, we've got to give thanks Thanks at all times. I know that's not popular. It certainly doesn't seem like it's American anymore to give thanks when when things have gone wrong, to give thanks when it doesn't seem like it's going to happen. We've got to give thanks at all times. We've got to, besides, who wants to give thanks when the economy is not doing well and your retirement account is taking a beating? Nobody wants to give thanks then. No, nobody wants to give thanks when the doctor says, you know what, it's cancer. I'm really sorry, and there's not much we can do. Who wants to give thanks when the boss says, you know what, you're no longer an employee of this company, your job has been terminated. Nobody wants to thank the Lord in those moments. Nobody wants to thank the Lord when we've tried everything and it seems like God is slow in keeping his promises. When it seems like everything we've done, nothing can make it come to pass, but that's exactly when we need to give thanks the most, amen? We need to give thanks the most when it doesn't seem like we understand what's on the other side of the storm. When we don't know what's going to happen, when we let down our nets on the other side of the boat because Jesus said to, when we don't understand how that's going to happen. Uh, what happens is we let, our, let down our nets on the other side of the boat and what comes up but an entire fish catch that's too much for our boat. We give thanks when we don't understand it. That's when we see God do amazing things. 
See, here's the truth. We don't know. You and I, we don't know what miracle is being set up through our faithful following of Jesus and giving thanks in the midst of the terrible moments of life. We may never see on, the other, on this side of eternity what the acts of giving thanks in the midst of the storms accomplished not only in my life, but in someone else's life. We've got to give thanks at all times. Paul went on to add a little phrase here, and he said that it's God's will. It's God's will. Now, I don't know about you, but I'm kind of into doing what I think is God's will, amen? Gut level, honest, this is God's will. Now, that's not easy. Have you ever had somebody play the God card? You know what I'm talking about? Hey, I know I'm supposed to be there to do that. I just don't feel like God wants me to, right? And, and really, it has nothing to do with what they feel like God wants. It's just they're too scared to say, I'm not doing it. I don't want to do this anymore. And so they blame it on God. And have you ever had one of those moments? We've had those, right? Sometimes people blame God for things they just don't want to do. You know what? God told me I'm supposed to break up with you. You know, I've been praying, and I really feel like, Mr. Mortgager, that I'm not supposed to finish paying my mortgage. The Lord told me not to. Now you know what I'm saying? Anybody ever had somebody play the God card on you? It's no fun, right? I think God gets the most offended at it, quite honestly. Anything he looks at us like we're crazy. I didn't tell you to do that. If you'd read that Bible, you'd find out I told you to do that. God's will is an important part of life. I want to do what God wants me to do. I want to live my life in a way that is going to make God happy. At the end of the day, I look back and I go, God, is there anything else I could have done differently? Because if there is, would you help me know what to do? God, at the end of the day, I want my life to have matched up with what your word said I was supposed to do. Now, I seldom see people play the God card when it's to do something that is outside of their natural characteristic that benefits someone else. We like to take the credit for that, don't we? You know what? I know you've been really struggling and I just wanted to help you, so here's $100. We like those moments, right? That's when you know it was the Lord because you had a bill come in that you needed $95 for and he met your bill and then some, right? But it's not often that the person says, you know what, the Lord put you on my heart, here's 100 bucks. Because we like the credit for it. Paul said here, you know what, give thanks at all times for this is God's will for you in Christ Jesus. In other words, you don't have a choice. It's God's will. Give thanks at all times. Praising Jesus, praying constantly while we give thanks in the midst of hell isn't something that is in our natural human demeanor. It's not something that naturally comes to us. I don't want to give thanks when things are rough to you, but that's precisely when we have to do it because that's God's will. It's God's will that we live thankfully, prayerfully, rejoicing lives. It reminds us that we're not in control. Let me tell you a story as we close. It's a story about a man named Horatio Spafford. Horatio was a lawyer, lived in the late 1800s, lived in Chicago. He and his family 
Um, much of their business was destroyed in the great Chicago fire of 1870 or 1871. And he and his wife, Anna, at the time had five children. And they were no strangers to going through turmoil and, and through, I mean, just real terrible, ter- terrible times because their youngest child was a son, was the only son that he had, died in 1871 to pneumonia. Many of the businesses in the area had been wiped out, completely destroyed by the fire, but their business, business endeavors, in addition to being a lawyer, had thrived, and God had blessed them again, and they were doing very, very well. Well, in November 21st of 1873, he and his family were going to go to Europe on vacation. <laughs> who, wouldn't want to, who wouldn't want to do that? Even if it was the 1800s, they go down, they make their way to the coast, they get on a, on a ship, they're going to traverse the Atlantic, But some business details had arisen, and he needed to remain behind. So he sends Anna and their four daughters on ahead and says, I'll meet you in Europe in just a few days. I'll be on the next boat, on the next ship available to to make the voyage across. Puts them on the ship, and they get four days into the journey when the ship that they're on is struck by an iron-hulled Scottish ship called the Loch Urn. Suddenly, all of those on board realized that they were in grave danger. There were 313 passengers, 226 of whom perished that night. As 12 minutes after being struck by the, by the, the other ship, their ship sank. As they realized they were in grave danger, Anna did what she knew she should do, and she knelt with her four daughters, grabbed them, hurriedly made their way to the deck, And there on the deck, she knelt with Annie and Margaret Lee and Bessie and Tanita and prayed that God would spare them if that could be his will or to make them willing to endure whatever awaited them. Shortly after their ship sank with 226 passengers, including their four children, a man in a lifeboat was rowing over the spot where the ship went down. And he spotted a woman floating there at sea, and sure enough, it was Anna. Anna had survived, but her four children had perished. The man pulled her into the boat. Later, another passenger, a a pastor, in fact, Pastor Weiss, recalled hearing Anna, Anna saying that God gave me four daughters, and now they have been taken from me. Someday, I'll understand why. Someday. Well, they were put on board another larger vessel that was making its way on to to the coast of Wales, and as they arrived, she sent a telegram back home to her husband. And it simply began, saved alone, what shall I do? Mr. Spafford made his way to the very first ship that he could to make his way across and join his grieving wife there to to figure out what they're going to do about mourning the loss of their four young children. With their ship now four days out, the captain called Mr. Spafford to his cabin and told him that they were over the exact place where the previous ship carrying his wife and daughters had gone down. This is the exact place, the exact moment in time in their voyage that their lives were lost. Mr. Spafford, on that journey, penned a song. He penned the words to one of the more famous songs in all of Christianity that his daughter, he had two more children born after Um, after the tragedy, and his daughter, Bertha Vester, went on to say that her daddy wrote this song while on that voyage. And the lyrics simply go like this. 
It says, when peace like a river attendeth my way, when sorrow like sea billows roll, whatever my lot thou hast taught me to say, it is well. It is well with my soul. How many of you have sung that song once at least in your life? When sea billows roll, whatever my lot, whatever may come my way, it is well. We give thanks at all times because it is well. Amen? We give thanks all the time because it's God's will. Why? Because it is well with my soul. Whatever comes my way, whatever I, I have coming against me, whatever the sea billows may look like, the waves may be higher than I can see past, the storm may be surrounding me like, like nothing I have ever seen, the winds may be stronger than I have ever known, but it is well with my soul. I will cling to the promises of God. I will give thanks even when I don't understand. I don't have to understand. I don't have to know a time. All I have to know, Jesus, is that with you, I'm always on your mind because I don't have to understand. He's with me. I'm going to give thanks because even if everything else is gone, he saved me because even if everything else has been taken from me, he has kept me. Even whatever comes my way, I'm going to cling to the old rugged cross because there's nothing else to cling to. Amen. I'm not going to let anything else get in my way. I'm going to give thanks because when it's at its worst is the time I need him the most. Give thanks at all times, in all circumstances, for this is God's will for you in Christ Jesus. Every head bowed and every eye closed. Perhaps you're here today and you would say, you know what, Pastor? Life's been rough. Life has not been easy. I wish that the Lord could make it just a little bit easier. He did. He paid a price that we owed. He redeemed us when we didn't know how to. If you're here today and you don't know Jesus, you're, you're far from him. You've allowed sin to separate you. And today you want to come back to him or you want to meet him maybe for the very first time. You want to confess your sins before the almighty God of heaven and earth. Would you slip up a hand? If that's you, looking from my left to the right. Anybody at all, okay? Who else? Well, is there anybody else that today is the day of salvation for you? You're ready to surrender to God. Look into my right and your left. Anybody else? Just slip up a hand. It's between me and you and the Lord. There's nobody else looking around. Anybody else? All right. Who else? Oh, come on, folks. This is what matters. If you're a believer, pray. Anybody else? Today's the day. All right? In just a few moments, we're going to have an opportunity for you to pray with our elders here around these altars. If you want to commit your life to Jesus today and make public profession of that, we want to agree with you. But perhaps you're here and well on the way to heaven. That's not the issue, but you've struggled to give thanks because you've not seen where God's proven he would do what he said. You're struggling to see how the promises are coming true. You don't know that you really... You're not sure you're ready to give thanks to God. But you want to pray that the Lord would help you to be thankful in all circumstances. You need God's help with that. Would you slip up a hand? 
Anybody else? Looking left to right? Anybody else? All right. If you would stand all across the room. This time, elders, prayer team, if you would, please make your way. Listen, if you need prayer for anything, if you raised your hand and said, I'm ready to come to the Lord, I'm ready to make confession and and surrender my life to his, make confession of my sins, we want to agree with you. Today is the day of salvation, and that's what they're here for. But maybe if you would say, you know what, Pastor, I'm struggling with the thanks part of it, and I raised my hand for that because I'm just not sure I'm ready to give thanks, then you know what? We want to pray with you for that too. God is good, and he is faithful. Even when we don't see it work out the way we want it to, we can be thankful that he's still in control. Amen? Rachel and the, and the, the guys, they're going to play the song. We're going to sing it. We want you to sing it as well. It's not the same old lyrics from the original song. I understand that's been modified a little bit. The message is still the same. It is well. It is well. So if you raised your hand or you should have, we want to invite you now as we as a family worship one more song. We want to invite you for prayer for anything. If you need prayer for anything, we want to invite you now. Come on as they come. Let's give them a hand. Who else? Come on. They're being brave. Come on. Who else?